Welcome to Herrick Does That, a podcast on current legal topics, relevant industry and legal trends, and significant developments in the law, brought to you by the attorneys of Herrick Feinstein. I'm Erwin Kishner, Herrick's executive chairman, and I want to thank you for joining us. Hi, I'm Dina Cohn. I'm a partner at Herrick Feinstein in the Real Estate Practice Group where I focus on leasing transactions, including ground leasing, space leasing, and everything in between. And I'm here with my partner, Phil Tucker. Hi, I'm Phil Tucker. I head up the condo co-op group here at Herrick Feinstein. My practice is focused on working with developers on the offer and sale of condo units and cooperative apartments, in counseling lenders and investors, in conducting due diligence for financing construction loans and inventory loans, as well as in connection with acquiring distressed projects or through bulk sales and purchases. Increasingly, though, I'm finding my time has been taken up by leasehold condos, which is great as it gives me the opportunity to work with my colleague, Dina, and provide fodder for interesting conversations. We're here today to discuss the opportunity available to not-for-profit corporations who are otherwise not in a position to own their real property to still take advantage of the New York State Real Property Tax Law, Section 428A Real Estate Tax Exemption. This can be accomplished through something called a leasehold condominium, which effectively converts a lease of a certain length with certain terms into real property for purposes of New York law. As background, in New York, a not-for-profit that owns and operates its own real property can normally qualify for a full exemption from state and city real property taxes. This can result in savings of tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars per year. That's money that can be reinvested toward the organization's charitable mission. Not-for-profits that lease their space, however, do not have that right because it's not available to lessees. So they end up having to pay their share of the real estate taxes that are assessed against their landlord, and they miss out on this crucial tax break. Securing the exemption may now be accomplished, however, through a leasehold condo structure. So Phil, what exactly is a leasehold condominium? A leasehold condominium is a creature of statute, uh, the New York Condominium Act. It follows the same basic premise as the more conventional condominiumization of a parcel of real property and its improvements dividing property into multiple condominium units, with each also sharing in an undivided interest in certain common elements. The difference is, in a sense, instead of slicing up a deed to real property, you're doing the same with a leasehold interest in that property. And instead of existing in perpetuity, the condominium only lasts as long as the lease is in effect, which for purposes of creating a leasehold condo, at minimum, must have uh, an unexpired term of 30 years upon creation of the condo. There's more than one kind of leasehold condominium you may encounter. Under the Condo Act, there's something called a qualified leasehold condominium. These relate to special areas of New York, like Battery Park City or Brooklyn Bridge Park, where residential leasehold condominiums are expressly permitted by law. That is not what we're talking about today, Now, commercial leasehold condominiums, which is what a non-for-profit would be forming from their lease, are permitted more generally anywhere in the state, so long as the 30-year-plus term is met and the property is, quote-unquote, devoted exclusively to non-residential purposes. None of that uh, is defined in the statute, which leaves some 
room for interpretation and guidance, which we need from uh, the Attorney General and the Department of Finance in connection with the formation and maintenance of these condos. So is that everything that's required to get the exemption? It's actually a bit more complicated than that. There is a, a fair bit of work. And as I alluded to, some administrative hoops you're required in New York. If you're forming a condominium and you're not offering it for sale to the public through an offering plan to instead obtain something called a no action letter. Uh, in addition to that, there's the need to prepare and file with the Department of Finance a condominium declaration to have an architect prepare tax lot drawings uh, in order to create the condo. And then once the condo is successfully created, filing with Department of Finance's exemption unit to obtain and then annually maintain the exemption. The end goal, no property taxes, is generally worth it, but each non-for-profit circumstances should be looked at individually. Now, the use of leasehold condominium to obtain the 420A tax exemption is generally thought to date back to 2009 in response to a private letter ruling requested by a taxpayer uh, from the New York Department of Finance. The letter ruling uh, reasoned that since under New York law, a condominium unit, including a leasehold condominium unit, constitutes real property, then through the magic of legal alchemy, a leasehold interest can be counted for purposes of this exemption, so long as there is an ownership of a leasehold condominium unit. Since 2009, the Department of Finance has affirmed this guidance on a couple of occasions, in response to individual taxpayers making applications for private letter rulings, the caution there is that a private letter ruling is not binding precedent for other taxpayers. It's specific to uh, that taxpayer and that taxpayer's situation. It can be revoked. Uh, and the flip side of that, though, is that Dina and I have seen over the last decade a, an explosion in the number of non-for-profits making use of leasehold condominium structure. What are some of the other things that a not-for-profit needs to consider in determining whether to proceed with this leasehold condominium structure? Right. So we discussed that it needs to make sense from a financial perspective, right, that there are certain costs uh, and time uh, involved in the creation of the condo and the maintenance of the exemption, although that's far less. Once you've done the work to create the condo, maintaining the exemption, as it stands right now, I understand, is, is really just a, a filing on an annual basis with DOF uh, and provided you've checked all of the other boxes, you're still non-for-profit, uh, operating in the space and owning that space, you would qualify for the exemption. In addition, there's a need in the lease itself, and, and this stems from the, the facts of the DOF ruling that the tenant under the lease be solely responsible for paying the real property taxes. That is one of the conditions that we look for when we're reviewing a deal and to ensure that we're conforming as much as possible to what's been established in the past as the conditions that will ensure uh, or permit the exemption to be obtained. I will say that the leasehold condominium has become particularly popular in the charter school field. 
where there's typically a sandwich lease arrangement that is needed to permit school operators to continue to receive certain benefits from the city and state. But beyond that, major institutional non-for-profits operating in the areas of healthcare and hospitals, colleges and universities, disaster relief, hunger, and food insecurity and social inequality. All of these are types of non-for-profits that have availed themselves of this structure. So while there are certain questions about how to best navigate, we have some comfort level, right, that given the the population here, that the ability of a non-for-profit to avail itself of the benefits uh, will continue. The 2009 letter ruling is pretty specific on its facts and involves a classic situation where the NFP tenant constructs a new building on leased land and the lease covers an entire building that is then submitted to condo. We've seen leasehold condo deals where only part of the building is leased to the NFP. So how can the NFP qualify for the exemption in that case? So the the ground lease scenario that you're referencing, Dina, is the more plain vanilla situation where you have one landlord, one tenant. The tenant leases the entire property, the land and the building that lease is what's converted into a leasehold condominium, and the tenant also constitutes the owner of all of the leasehold condo units, gets to constitute the board, and the relationships are pretty straightforward as between landlord and tenant. We have seen over time more complicated scenarios that have evolved using leasehold condos to meet different party needs and, and deal terms. So For example, we've now seen a fee condominium where one of the condominium units is leased, and that lease within the fee condo is turned into a leasehold condo. So that's a condo within a condo, which is also a situation that a private letter ruling has endorsed recently. In addition, there may be scenarios where a landlord leases leases the property to itself and forms a leasehold condo, and then conveys, sells a portion of the property to a non-for-profit. And in that scenario, uh, there actually may be a for-profit operations going on in the building that does not uh, necessarily um, disqualify the non-for-profit from getting the benefits. Uh, so, so that's another model that we've we've seen used by by. Uh, landlords and tenants in the market. Sounds like the structure is getting more flexible. More flexible, more complicated, right. uh, the introduction of multiple additional documents. So in the example where the landlord creates the leasehold condo and conveys it to a non-for-profit tenant, in addition to the declaration and bylaws, the uh, tax law drawings, the no action letter filing, You'd also see a purchase and sale agreement to account for the the transfer of the leasehold condo unit, as well as sometimes we see additional supplemental agreements that uh, include most of the major lease terms, right? Because in, in a situation where you may have multiple leasehold condo unit owners who are not affiliated, 
each of them may have different terms, just like you would be leasing space in a building to different tenants and you may have different terms. So, so that uh, results in a, an added layer of complexity on these deals. Given this complexity and a certain sense of the unknown because there's no statutory law um, providing any guidance on this and we're just relying on letter rulings and whatever we can find out informally. So I guess it's certainly possible and I know that we have seen that, uh, cases where the NFP uh, might have some concerns about being turned down for the exemption for whatever reason. And with taxes being what they are, the NFPs very likely, very possibly, uh, could not otherwise afford to lease space in New York City. So wouldn't they be looking for exit strategies in case they don't get the exemption? How would that play out? You're absolutely right. The, the ability to obtain the, the exemption successfully becomes a critical deal point for a lot of these non-for-profits. And the specter that they may not qualify in the future can has, has the potential to, to sink a deal. In, in this area, the Attorney General's office plays an instrumental role as a gatekeeper as they issue the no-action letters that permit the creation of the leasehold condo. And at that stage, there's a, an ability to have a conversation with the, the attorney general's office and, and the reviewing attorney as to the nature of this particular transaction. In, in recent applications, the AG has begun asking um, more probing questions uh, that need to be addressed. And so that uh, there's a concern there, and I think there's a sensitivity from by all parties about this issue. Uh, now, I'm of the opinion that the termination of the lease, the ability to terminate the lease, shouldn't automatically disqualify a lease from being converted into a leasehold condo, provided it meets all the other criteria under the statute, provided there's a, an unexpired term of at least 31 years when the condo is going to be created, provided it's uh, for uh, an exclusively non-residential purpose. Uh, so I think that becomes a conversation that, that needs to happen on a particular deal. I want to talk about homeless shelters. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of calls from people who are wanting to open up homeless shelters and they're wondering if they can do a leasehold condo and obtain the real estate tax exemption. And then the question always arises Does this violate the no residential use restriction in the statute? This is especially relevant now with uh, New York City lately being having is paying right now above market rents to private owners of multifamily properties. And the way it works is uh, the DHS funds various not for profits um, who then with the funding from DHS, they go and lease space uh, to operate the homeless shelter. So Mm. what do you think would happen in the case of a homeless shelter if that were presented to the AG and or DOF? Right. So as you've noted, Dina, none of this is written in stone at this point. And so while we've seen instances where the uh, Elisal condo has been created successfully, 
where there's been student housing or staff housing dormitories, I would probably want to speak with the, the AG's office under the specific facts, right, to determine whether, uh, in fact, this is still the position of the, of the department. But as it stands, what I'm hearing, what I understand, is that that is a situation that, that would uh, qualify for leasehold condo status. Any reason why you think it would qualify specifically? Any analogous situations? Right. So um, I, I think the distinction that is made is whether the condominium that is resulting from uh, this process is ultimately going to be sell, sold to the public, right? So in a situation where a condo was going to be further subdivided um, and sold to tenants, sold to, to you know, future residents, that would absolutely be prohibited. Uh, that, that would fall afoul of the um, e- exclusive uh, non-residential purpose. The fact that the entity and, and the operation is uh, being operated for ostensibly commercial purposes, right? So, so even if it's a not-for-profit, it's still uh, not per- for personal use. So, so I think that's a distinction that is made. And, uh, you know, I, I think if you're talking about that particular use, you have policy um, on your side uh, and good intentions. And, and I'd like to think that, you know, there would be some leeway, certainly, to, to accommodate that, that type of situation. Anything else we should know? Well, the opportunity is there for non-for-profits. It's not every non-for-profit that is going to be able to take advantage of this, right? So a non-for-profit may have the financial wherewithal to purchase. Terrific. You automatically can qualify for the exemption. Uh, it may have the wherewithal to ground lease an entire building for 30 plus years. Um, but in a lot of situations, you're going to have non-for-profits who just don't have that type of, uh, that aren't capitalized in that way um, and, and operate on a more day-to-day basis. And so, you know, one thing that I'd be curious to, to see is if these situations uh, were created in advance. So a for-profit landlord who, you know, is farsighted enough to think, well, maybe down the line, uh, I'll have the, the need and the use to rent to a not-for-profit uh, to make my property more appealing, I would leasehold condo it right now. Uh, and that way, you could pretty seamlessly have a not-for-profit who may not be able to enter into 30-year lease, but could buy into this existing leasehold condo for however many years remain uh, on its term. And, and still obtain the benefits. Yeah, we'll see how things progress over time and what our clients are trying to do and what reception they get from the AG and DOF as we create law. Right, <laughs> right, as we create law in this field. Uh, I, I, I've spoken about the, the role of the Attorney General's office. Department of Finance also plays a big part in this in connection with their um, review of the condo declaration and the tax lot drawings. And so even though I, I don't think that review, at least to date, has been particularly intensive, it, it adds to the process, it adds time to the process 
so that's something that I think um, not-for-profits looking at this uh, should be prepared for. Thank you so much, Phil. Thanks, everyone, for being here. And if you have any questions about leasehold condominium, reach out to someone in our real estate group, and we will be happy to answer any questions. Thanks so much, Dina. It was great to be with you here today uh, talking about one of our favorite topics, leasehold condominiums. Thank you very much for joining us for Herrick's podcast, Herrick Does That. To learn more about our firm and to listen to additional recordings, please visit us at www.herrick.com.